0: Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas.
1: From our socially distanced virtual lunch table in Baton Rouge, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal, editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report. It's business, Baton Rouge style.
2: Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Artificial intelligence is one of those terms that can send chills up your spine and make you think of a creepy science fiction film. But AI is not the future, it's very much here. And it's not necessarily scary either. In fact, it can keep you safe, which is a good thing, because the dangers are growing not only from street criminals. Cyber attacks are growing, occurring every 14 seconds around the world, three times faster than just three years ago. And guess what? The pandemic of 2020 hasn't helped. Joining me today to discuss this is Lex Adams, founder of Crimer, a software company that uses AI and analytics to predict patterns of a crime in a given area. Alex and some of his computer science buddies founded the company in 2018 while they were still students at LSU. And in a short time, they're getting a lot of attention with their software, which pulls data from a variety of sources feeds it into a highly intelligent system, then spits information out predicting where crime will happen. And the software has implications beyond just crime. Crimer can be used to help emergency responders be prepared to deploy to areas that could become hotspots. Lex also sees potential applications for, say, real estate investors, And it all started with a class project at LSU. Why didn't I have professors like that when I was in school? Lex, thank you so much for joining me on Zoom today to talk about an issue that is of interest to so many people.
3: Thank you, Stephanie. Glad to be here.
2: With me and Lex is Bill Leach, a cybersecurity expert who is vice president for IT security and government service at Transformix, a local IT company that has been around since 1987. But in 2017, the company took a sizable step into the world of cybersecurity by acquiring an IT security services firm and hiring Bill, who was a 30 year cybersecurity veteran with the U.S. Navy. He brought with him a team of cybersecurity analysts, and Transformix plans to double the staff of its cybersecurity division over the next year and a half. There's certainly no shortage of need in the field. In recent weeks, with so many people more reliant than ever on technology, we've heard locally of some high-profile cyber attacks with, with our healthcare institutions. The Baton Rouge Clinic was one. Our Lady of the Lake Foundation was another. Bill, you are the man of the hour. We look forward to hearing your advice on how we can stay safe. Thanks for joining us on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Lex, I'm going to start with you because your story brings to mind that of another LSU class project that turned into a successful business, Raising Canes. Are you the next Todd Graves of Baton Rouge?
3: Well, I don't know if, uh, if I would call myself the next Todd Graves because we don't serve uh, con- uh, consumers, you know, but we definitely want to grow Crimer to be a national company just like Raising Canes was.
2: I mean, y'all are that good. You see that potential Absolutely. down the line.
3: We're we are very motivated, and uh, we think that there's potential for Crimer to be a national presence in the public safety uh, sector.
2: So when did you all realize that you had a, a really viable business on your hands? Was it right off the bat when you were still students in school, or, or has it really evolved over the past year, year and a half?
3: Well, when we were in school, uh, it, you know— we based this off of a very real world problem. Uh, we saw that there were uh, the Louisiana had the highest per capita murder rate in the country. We wanted to solve that. And uh, we started gathering this victimization data. So in, in this capstone course, we produced a, a very early version of, of CRIMER uh, and the project was well received. You know, we, we garnered so much commercial interest that we went on to form the company now known as CRIMER. So, uh, the aspirations were were there very early on. And uh, I, I think that probably since uh, February, March 2019 is kind of when, when we realized, let's do this. Let's go out there and, 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 uh, and have, a, have a real company based on the software.
2: And what a year to be growing your company in, mm-hmm. right?
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's It's been a tumultuous year for everyone.
2: Well, I want to talk some more about the software and really dig into it. But before we do that, I want to bring Bill into the conversation because, I mean, we're talking about software and technology. And and of course, we're doing this over Zoom instead of at Mansour's, where we should be. We're so dependent on this technology today, and this makes us all the more vulnerable. Um, Obviously, you're very busy these days. Tell me me where y'all are with Transformix and your growth in this area. What is your average day looking like?
1: Uh, very busy. Uh, we we are experiencing lots of growth, um, as you mentioned. There's uh, you know there's a lot going on in the world of cybersecurity. Our reliance on technology today is is incredible, um, and it's just everything uh, that a company relies on is based on technology. And we used to service uh, one of the largest auto groups, and I had a conversation with with one of the general managers, and they were just trying to minimize. The, Technology and we don't really need it. And I said, let me go and plug that internet connection and see how many cars you can sell. Um, but it, it's a. Uh, but as far as cybersecurity, uh, we provide services primarily in the healthcare industry. Um, some large clients and uh, it's highly regulated. Uh, patient records is a is a definitely a a, a valuable target, um, as they can be sold on the black market for. For, for a good price uh, so there's that motivation and um, you know through business impact assessments or breach impact assessments we can we can tell a company you know how much they're worth on the black market to help motivate them to put put aside money to protect the uh, the information assets
2: it's so fascinating now one thing I was surprised about as I was I was doing a little research Transformix has been around since 1987. Yeah, a lot of us didn't even have our own personal computers back then, or we were just buying our, our first ones. What was Transformix doing, and then what was the impetus to get into cybersecurity, which is obviously such a such a pressing and smart move?
1: Right, cybersecurity came many years later, but uh, it started as a software company, and the founder Claude Buffet, um created uh, custom software, um, and it was uh, and I was not really involved in that part of it, uh, but. basically web hosting. He was cutting edge on uh, content management and people being able to build their websites and doing the design uh, marketing tools. Uh, Marcom I think was the the name of the the product they sold. Uh, Very innovative cutting edge back then and over the years uh, was known as a software development company, web hosting company. And then back in around 2008, Started transitioning more into the um, managed services, um, IT support, uh, and then they made the investment to uh, to acquire a data center. And and you know we we have some uh, you know we, we we provide our own hosting. Um, we have one of the most talented uh, staffs uh, for network support services. I mean a Cisco shop. I mean we have CCIEs, which are the premier certification in the world of Cisco. So top tiered engineers and support. And uh, it, it just it, it kind of naturally grew into the security. They always did security, but as you mentioned in 2017, uh, made a strategic move uh, to to have a dedicated business unit uh, to focus on, on that.
2: And I want to find out more about cybersecurity, but Lex, let's bring you back into the conversation because I'm fascinated by your artificial intelligence software. I mean, If in layperson's terms, can you dig down a little bit and explain it to us how exactly it works? How do you predict where crime is going to happen?
3: Okay, so it all starts with uh, gathering the data in the first place, and we gather it from three distinct dimensions from the surface web. The first thing that we look at is police radio chatter, which gets transcribed. Uh, We look at different social media platforms. So you've got your next door, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And we look at news articles that are published about crimes. And and specifically, we're looking for people that are victims of crime here. We're not necessarily looking for people that are reporting their own crimes on social media. We really are interested in saving victims from being hurt. Uh, So that's the second dimension. and The third dimension is, is straight from the law enforcement themselves. So we work closely with our law enforcement partners to get their crime data. Now, after we gather the crime data, we feed it into our machine learning model. Uh, that model is, uh, it's called a spatiotemporal temporal model, right? That just means over space and time, all right? And uh, along with that data, we feed a bunch of auxiliary data points surrounding the crime incident. An auxiliary data point is like what the weather was like, what kind of terrain was there? What was the artificial light level when the crime occurred? And this is all data that we've painstakingly gathered on a massive scale so that we can pair our crime data with this auxiliary data. Finally, our machine learning model outputs uh, a, a uh, heat map distribution of where crimes are most likely to occur in the future. And often you'll be surprised that the, the areas that are predicted are not the areas where crimes have occurred in the past. And and that's a big differentiator between us and what law enforcement are using currently. See, a lot of law enforcement, they're they're focusing on where crimes have happened before and then just working on patrolling those areas. But it turns out crime is not a static thing, it moves. And uh, it it can often form new hotspots overnight. And crime aims to put that information in the hands of law enforcement.
2: Have you all... Um, over the past year, year and a half, established enough data to prove that your that your outcomes are are sound. I mean that this works basically. Have you been successful in predicting hotspots?
3: Absolutely, and that's something that we were able to not just prove in the real world, but prove academically. So we could look at past crime, and then use current methodology to predict future crime, current methodology used by law enforcement, hotspot-based methodology. And then we're able to take our predictions and pit them up against those predictions and then look at the reality. And we can can compare the two and see how we performed against those past predictions. And we found we're around 63% more accurate uh, in, in our predictions, than traditional hotspot methodology.
2: Interesting, and and when yes. we talk about crime, we're talking about violent crime, nonviolent crime. Uh-
3: Mostly, the focus that and what law enforcement cares the most about are your property crime and your your personal crime or violent crime. It's called uh, statutory crimes that deal with drugs. I mean, that's that's something that's been on our radar, and people ask us a lot about it, but. We feel like this isn't really a major social issue that we want to tackle right now.
2: Bill, speaking of crime, I, I want to go back to the cybercrime thing, because, you know, anytime we have somebody on the show that's even remotely involved in this, you know, it, it just seems like we're more vulnerable than ever. And, and the two recent incidents here in Baton Rouge that I mentioned with the Baton Rouge Clinic and the, and the Lake Foundation, you're talking literally hundreds of thousands of people who potentially could be at risk. How... How dangerous do you think it is out there in terms of cyber crime?
1: It's very dangerous. I mean, it's a, uh, it's a business for some, you know, for the cyber criminals and they, they have their research and development teams and they're investing in their infrastructure. And it's, so it's not just a bunch of kids, you know, uh, a bunch of script kiddies uh, in a basement somewhere, just, you know, seeing what they can get away with. I mean, they acquire targets. I mean, the, the the large targets, and what I mean by target a business, uh, they may spend months or up to a year uh, doing reconnaissance on this business uh, to get in. And they have uh, easy methods where they could start to get in. They could uh, troll the uh, social media areas to get information, personal information, um, and on, on individuals. Uh, but the, the people are the front line of defense, and that's usually the weak link. So somebody clicks on something in an email, and then it then it rests or or depends on how secure the environment is. So for example, are the companies keeping up with software updates? Do they have a sound firewall? Do they um, and, and you can go through the whole list of cybersecurity controls that should be in place, but most of the time it starts with the people and um, you know, you can go into social media, for example, and you can figure out somebody's birth date, their favorite color, um, their likes, dislikes, and that can be valuable. And uh, so as they, uh, you know, as they acquire a target, and then some of it's just random, you know, it, it's just, uh, um, so I can't speak uh, specifically on the ones that you've mentioned, but uh, oftentimes it, it, it's just, a, it's, they, they go for low hanging fruit sometimes to, to get in and they can use that organization, uh, they can uh, use the resources, the infrastructure, the computing resources there, uh, so they can use that for maybe a distributed den- uh, denial of service attack. They can use it uh, to commit crimes. They could, uh, th- there's, there are just many things they can, you know, do, do with that company.
2: Is more of the work you do at Transformix, say, helping companies prevent um, cyber attacks or recover from them?
1: Both. So there's the, I mean, that what's that old saying? The ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and there's nothing mysterious about what companies should do. And I think a lot of companies already know some or most of it. It's just a matter of being compelled to spend the money to to make the right investments. You know, so the, the operating systems, uh, the applications that are running on the systems, the network environment that they're running in, and so forth. Is that all? protected, you know, the people, are they training their people? Are they training them uh, against uh, phishing attacks? And, uh, and as I said, that the people are always the the weak link uh, in the companies. Uh, but then we also provide incident response. So if something does happen to be able to come in and, um, you know, the first it's like, for example, a healthcare organization, the first thing is to keep operations running, uh, just because of the nature of what they do. But at the same time, being able to Uh, to to figure out what exactly went on and and how to recover. So the business continuity component of it and then the disaster recovery. um, And then also the forensics in case they need to pursue it legally uh, or to at least understand exactly what went on and and how to preserve that evidence.
2: You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking with Lex Adams of Crimer and Bill Leach of Transformix. We'll be right back after this very short break. You're listening to Out to Lunch, I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Bill Leach of Transformix and Lex Adams of Crimer. I love having, you know, an established company that's been in the IT space in Baton Rouge for 30 years plus, and then a a relatively new startup, you know, run by the the next generation. but, but before I get into that, because I, I do want to talk about that a little bit, tell me, if y'all can each sort of give me an idea of kind of where the, your company is in terms of its size, the number of employees you have, maybe just a rough estimate of what kind of revenues you do. Uh, Lex, how big are y'all now? And, and is this still like the kind of company that's run out of the garage um, or the basement? But, or are you like really a big, large, established organization?
3: I wouldn't say that we're a large established organization like you may see in another IT or software development company like General Informatics, but we do have 13 employees right now and quite a large office. So we're we're certainly getting there. I would still consider us quite a small business, uh, but uh, something you got to keep in mind is all 13 of my employees are software developers. And software developers are not the cheapest people to pay. You know, uh, it, it can. Uh, so, so we're we're doing quite well there, um, and I foresee quite a bit of growth in the next couple of years, especially as we expand to the national stage, which we have an action plan to to do that very soon.
2: So that's great. If all of your employees are primarily software developers, who's mm-hmm. doing the sales and the marketing and the PR?
3: A lot of the sales come from me because I know the product so well. When you get a, a, a sales engineer, uh, which is which is in our pipeline, of course, the, there's a lot that you have to teach them about what we do. And sometimes our clients ask questions that are very technical. And you need to have some intimate understanding of our product in order to make such a sale.
2: So who are um, your clients, for instance? So we, we work with
3: with several law enforcement agencies throughout the state, uh, some outside of the state as well. But for confidentiality reasons, I, I can't name names.
2: But, but that's who yeah. you're selling to, the sheriff's mostly departments, law, mostly the police law departments. Mostly law enforcement,
3: sheriffs and police departments. And, and we've done some, uh, some work with uh, an insurance company as well.
2: Bill, what about Transformix? How big are you guys now? And, and how big is the cybersecurity division of the company overall?
1: Um, the company is—we uh, have about 80 employees. Um, we're, I think, close to 40 million a year. Um, the cybersecurity business unit, uh, there's nine, soon to be 10, um, but we work closely with with the other people, um, like on the on the managed services side. So we have managed um, service provider and then managed security service provider, the MSP, MSSP. And those two align quite a bit. Uh, so it's, and uh, as far as the, uh, the sales and marketing, I think almost a third of the company is uh, a fourth or maybe a third is uh, dedicated to, to sales and marketing and the CEO and uh, the uh, VP of uh, the sales and marketing. They often say that everybody's in sales. So we, we're all selling at some point. Um, but, uh, and then the cybersecurity practice, it was in itself a startup, uh, uh, business unit and we have our own PL, but we've, we've grown quite a bit and we're expecting a large, I mean, during, with everything going on, we're, we're very thankful that, um, business is still going well and, and, uh, we're, we're able to provide value, um, out you know, for, for our clients.
2: Well, with so many of us spending more time online, we certainly hear about more cyber attacks. Are you all seeing that really in your business? Is your phone ringing more?
1: Our, our phone rings primarily uh, companies. It's compliance driven. So, you know, right now, the, 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 the it seems like the uh, the accountability is at the C-level with a lot of these companies. Um, so then, unfortunately, when they start fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it, uh, as they feel the heat, they, they're they're more interested. Uh, so they reach out and, and want to you know like in, in the healthcare industry, uh, there are HIPAA reg- regulations. Um, there's uh, the High Tech Act of 2009, all the way through um, other uh, other uh, uh, regulations concerning concerning the healthcare industry. And then folded into that are the standards and the guidelines and you know, our average size customer—they have three to four hundred security control requirements. We go through that. We build a program for them, starting with a security plan, cybersecurity plan, policy, process, documentation, and then the implementation of the controls. And that—and as as uh, we like to say, I, I say at least—is getting companies away from gross criminal neglect when you're doing nothing. To me, that's that's a that's, that's beyond just a disservice. I mean, it's, uh, when you, when you take in the, into account that there are digital app, you know, there are assets, there are things that impact their customers. So like for the, uh, financial sector, Gramm-Leash-Bliley Act would be one of the, uh, laws there to protect the consumer and the federal trade commission being that watchdog or, or the advocate for, for the consumer. So making sure that and, and, and helping our customers, uh, build a legitimate security program, and then putting everything into place. But we do get, we do get calls um, concerning just cyber criminal activities.
2: Interesting. Where do you all where do you all see the Baton Rouge sort of IT um, sector? And I, I remember when IBM came in here a few years ago. Everybody talked about how this was going to really be the boost to sort of you know build a, a, a hub around around IT. Has that happened? Um, Is it difficult to find enough trained software engineers to to meet the level of of expectation and need that you have with your respective companies? And and are your clients coming from locally or or out of state or what?
3: So being a recent LSU grad, uh, I know a lot of people that went and joined IBM. Uh, Would I say that they've had a positive impact on the technology ecosystem in Baton Rouge not exactly, because they, they don't pay well enough for a lot of these very talented software developers. And what you end up seeing is this massive exodus of computer science graduates from LSU that are leaving to other states where there's better pay and there's people that appreciate the talents that they have. Um, now, I'm, I'm not a complete pessimist about the subject. i I I know that Golden Richard from uh, LSU, who's a cybersecurity professor, has done some excellent things with the program there. And, and, and Bill, you may, you may know something about this. This is a cybersecurity concentration at LSU that just opened up this last semester. So there's definitely a, a lot of new programs that are building some excellent software engineers and cybersecurity analysts at the school. And uh, that's really where most of your talent is gonna be coming from around here. Uh, I don't see a shortage personally, because I know so many people from the university, but I've, I've heard from other businesses that it's difficult for them to find the right talent for their software projects.
1: Um, I, I agree on on um, most, if not all of that. And um, in the world of cybersecurity, I'll just give you uh, just some some insight on the salaries. I mean, an analyst can start Uh, 35, 40,000 a year, and that goes upwards to 70 to 80, you know, for an analyst, for an engineer, it can start anywhere from 50 to 60, uh, up to 90. Um, And then you get into the architects and then the actual, like the the CISOs, or like the chief information security officer, Um, they can six figure salaries. Um, So there is a shortage, like when we look for talent, it's hard to find them. I mean, we we interviewed someone the other day, and they were they had an offer like within a week with another company. So the good ones do not stay on the market long, and there, there's high turnover. It's one of the fastest growing um, professions. You know, top ten I saw the other day was a cybersecurity analyst. They're really in high demand, and for me, in my perspective, it all comes down to the analysts. Technology is great, but the people have to have the right information and the right context. To make good decisions, so you know, gone from data, which is raw facts, into information that's data put into a proper context, in 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 the cybersecurity. So I I say, like the Marines, they start with we're all infantry first before they become a pilot or anything else. We're all analysts first. And I like to keep that mindset. And like to me, a CISO is like a chief analyst. Um, And but they're hard. Critical thinking skills are are very important. Formal training. Uh, certifications I think are great with experience and then education is, is, is really is, is really good but having people have skills and lastly there's a, a program we're participating in. it's called the apprentice uh, for apprenticeship program where we're taking people in who are looking for a career change and this program will provide the training uh, the placement and they have a six-month period to learn um, and in some cases, the on-the-job training program here in Louisiana will pay for half their salary during that six-month transition. So it's a great program for both sides to try to get people in and, and place them into a uh, jobs that, are, that have a, a bright future.
2: That really, really is. That, that's great to hear. And, and, and you talk about people putting the information to good use. Before I let you go, I want to ask Lex one more question. What do the police do with the information that they get from you? A law enforcement agency, are they supposed to change the way they patrol, um, warn everybody in the area, lock your cars
3: at night? Well, there's a few different ways that it benefits them. Uh, but Primarily, yes, changing the way that they patrol. An officer spends 70% of their shift patrolling on average, and we want to substantially reduce that, especially when you're starting to see movements which are reducing uh, law enforcement capacity. Uh, you need to make sure that the officers that you have are as effective as possible, and that's one of the, the tools we give them. Uh, we also reduce overtime uh, because that's a huge way that uh, law enforcement is paid, and what what you end up happening is what you end up seeing is that there's uh, just routine overtime being paid out to law enforcement, which is a, a huge pain to the administration a lot of the time. Uh, so we can predict when one night uh, we'll have more activity than your average night. Um, and finally, we make police feel more prepared and safer when they roll up to a scene. So we, we don't want to have this situation where law enforcement arrives, they're confronted with a surprise or an, a situation where they're not prepared for it. And, uh, and and then it makes the news, you know, we, we want to, of course, and, and, and that's, that's what we want to avoid at all costs. We want to put that information in the hands of officers so that they can come prepared, you know, especially for something like a gun crime.
2: Well, Lex Adams and Bill Leach, in, in the middle of a pandemic with protests and natural disasters and so much going on, all of us online, we can take some comfort in knowing Baton Rouge IT experts are working to keep us safer on the streets and in the cloud. So thank you both so much for taking time to join me on Out to Lunch. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Stephanie. It was a pleasure.
2: My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Lex Adams of Crimer and Bill Leach of Transformix. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on WRKF. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Crimer and Transformix by listening to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, it's batonrouge.la. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge social media. Photos are taken by Jill LaFleur. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti, And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino, Dave Winwood, and Anne Edelman. Someday soon, we'll go back to hosting out to lunch from Mancers on the Boulevard. In the meantime, they're open for lunch and dinner seven days a week. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch.
0: Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones-Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Joneswalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com/slash-COVID19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere Great Jazz is sold or streamed, and at MitchellForeman.com.